0: That Quail Robert by Margaret A. Stanger, Hodder and Stoughton, 1966. Chapter 15, the last chapter. Lord, thank you that as uh, we read this chapter, we can remember that not only is there a last chapter to a book, there's a last chapter to life. When when we finish our time on this earth, Lord, we, uh, through faith in Christ, dwell with you delight in your presence and your goodness and all that is made right. So I pray that even as we read this last chapter, that our minds would remember and hold fast to that which we know to be true because of our confidence and our our sure knowledge that, that you will return and that we will go to be with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Robert approached her fourth autumn season in good spirits once again the patio was delightful with fallen leaves under which she knew there were good bugs and spiders it meant a great deal to me to have her well because she was soon to spend another 10 days at my home while the kinsles were going to lexington to help in welcoming a new baby in their son tom's family since robert was as much at home in my house as in her own i did not give the uh, just adjustment of thought this time perhaps i took too much for granted I believe Robert knew that I would bow to her every whim. The very first night, when she signified that she was ready to be put to bed, she insisted on a change of routine. Everything was just as it had always been on other visits, but something was not to her liking. I held her a few minutes, talked to her, and then put her up on her shelf on her own ball of yarn. I closed the door and settled down to do the many things I had not done during the day. Almost immediately, I heard her fly down, and knew she was standing at the bedroom door trying to get out. Of course, I went into to her, and we tried it again. After four futile attempts to get her settled in for the night, I was at my wit's end when suddenly I thought of the little Swiss music box. Once more, I put her on her shelf, but this time, I brought the music box in with me and sat on the bed and wound it up. It plays two minutes at a winding, and during that time, there was not a sound from Robert. But as soon as it ran down, little interrogatory chirps came from the shelf. I wound it again, again, silence until it had run down. After the third playing, silence, I wound it once more, muffled it with a blanket at the foot of the bed and tiptoed out. There was not a sound until nine o'clock the next morning. The whole performance was repeated that night, and I gave in. Toward the end of her visit, I tried it again without the music box, but had to go back to it. When she returned home, I told the Souls about it and the first night they tried their music box, which is a duplicate of mine. Robert objected very vocally and did not want it. It really seemed that she had taken advantage of me, but I was more than willing. She made one other change during this visit. She discovered that by flying up on a little chest which stands under a window of the keeping room, she could not only look out to her solarium, but ask to go out that way. Never again did she stand at the door as she had always done. Also, this time, when I opened the window, she would go out by herself and stay for long periods of time. Only when I heard her little lonesome cry, did I go out. She would not come in through the window, but she always went out that way. She had many visitors, as usual, most of whom knew her well. Several people remarked that she seemed to be slowing down. I would not agree to that, but did have to admit that she seemed more mature, more sedate, and less mischievous. Perhaps she did spend more time sitting on my shoulder as I wrote, and I had to admit that she no longer interfered with my typing. She was very lively out of doors, and I often saw her jump up to a height height level with the middle of the window to catch a bug. I looked back on those ten days with great pleasure. Early in November, the little spur-like growth at the corner of her beak reappeared. It had been successfully snipped off several times, but now it began to spread inside her mouth. Whether the outer growth interfered with her seeing food or whether an actual failing of sight was the cause, we did not know. But she required a great deal of assistance in eating. The growth prevented her from completely closing her beak, and she could not preen each individual feather as she had always done so carefully. But she tried. Soon every seed and every bit of food had to be put well back in her mouth, and Mildred spent most hours each day doing so. She always saw to it that Robert went to bed with a nicely filled crop. I doubt if any pet, or for that matter, many persons ever had such devoted care. Even water had to be given to her. Through all this, her spirits and her disposition did not change. She even found a new delight, one which was quite foreign to the nature of her kind. She took several flights up to the very peak of the roof and would, and there she would stand on the ridgepole, stretched to her full height of 10 inches in a tiptoe position, just looking around. Quail will, on very infrequent occasions, seek refuge on a low limb of a tree, but they are not given to high perching. Robert seemed to like the enlarged view of the world and sometimes stayed there for 15 minutes. During those weeks, more and more frequently, she would leave her shelf early in the morning and Tommy would find her cuddled under his chin when he awoke. She almost always chose Tommy. One evening, returning from a convention in Boston, Mildred told Tommy about a lecture which had impressed her. The theme had been that instead of wishing for powers we do not have, we should do all the good we can with what we have at hand. The speaker had illustrated his point by two references. One from Exodus when Moses, discouraged and downhearted, heard God ask, What is that in thine hand? Of course, it was the rod which he he struck upon the ground and by means of which the children of Israel were freed. The other being Lincoln, equally downhearted, who heard a voice say to him, What is that in my hand? Of course, it was a pen, and history has recorded the lasting power of that pen. Mildred continued to think about it as she went to sleep. In the morning, she woke with her hand on the pillow, palm upward, to find Robert asleep in it. The thought flashed through her mind, What is this in mine hand? Not the rod of Moses, nor the pen of Lincoln, but, in her own small way, quite a power for good. More than one young man, after seeing and knowing Robert, had vowed never to shoot a coil again. Many avenues had been opened, leading to interest in and even study of birds and bird life. And hundreds of people had been entertained and amused by her. At Thanksgiving, friends in Wellfleet had, as a guest, a man and his wife, Philadelphia, who had heard and read so much about Robert that they were very anxious to see her. At that time, I had not seen her for several days and was doubtful that I would ever again because she had become so weak. But I explained the situation to Mildred and Tommy who said I might bring them if I prepared them for seeing her not at her best. I agreed and the day after Thanksgiving, we went. After I did all I could to see that they would not be disappointed, I might as well have saved my breath. Robert rose to the occasion, greeted them with her unique welcome sounds chirped conversationally to mr johnson as he held her and for the last time was the perfect hostess in spite of what i had told him the visit them the visitors thought she was beautiful her feathers with their amazing design looked uncared for to us but not to the guests they signed her guest book one of them commenting after her signature a joy to hear and see so ended her book except for a tribute later written by tommy The morning of December 2nd, Tommy found her again under his chin and let her stay there for some time. She seemed so contented and so tired. However, she accompanied him into the bathroom as usual and hopped up on the breakfast table where she was fed. Later that day, she cocked her head at the sound of some soft music, flew up on the back of the Davenport and swayed and sang with the music as she had not done for several weeks. She wanted to be held a great deal that afternoon and was put on the shelf early in the evening. There, for the first time in her three and a half years of life, she tucked her head under a wing and was immediately asleep. The next morning, Mildred had to go to a meeting, and she didn't. And she called me asking if I would take her, adding that Tommy didn't want to leave Robert, who was still asleep, still with her head under her wing, but definitely sleeping. After I took Mildred home, I bought a steel strong box, which I lined with soft wool, nylon blanket material, and left the doorstep without going in. "'left on their doorstep without going in. "'After lunch, my telephone rang. "'I knew as soon as I heard Mildred's voice "'what she had to tell me. "'She said, I just, to say, I just want to say one sentence. "'Robert went finally to sleep with her head "'still under her wing. "'I could make no reply. "'She lies in the little box "'in the same position in which she slept, "'in this section of the patio "'where she had loved to take her sunbaths "'and hunt for bugs. "'She is watched over by a pair "'of hand-carved stone quail from Japan.' I often think of Mildred's remark of three years ago when we wondered so many things. Among them, what the end would be. And she said, I know one thing, whatever it is, oh, how we'll miss her. And we do. All right. That was actually a really neat ending to a a book. Not anything super tragic, just the end of life. Robert tucking her head under her wing. So I love you guys. Have a great day.